Welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I've lived with type 1 diabetes for decades and enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living with this disease. Before we dive into this episode, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit, charitable organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just purchase a copy of Doing Diabetes Differently or click the donate link on my website. Number two, stay engaged on all things social media, sign up for the e-newsletter, and subscribe to my newly updated YouTube channel where this episode will soon be live. Enough rambling. Let's get started. Today's guest, Mia Frasinella, recently celebrated her 8th anniversary. After her type 1 diabetes diagnosis, Mia became a certified yoga instructor using yoga and meditation to navigate the uncertainties. As a second grade teacher, she fosters a supportive classroom environment by embracing her diabetes, inspiring her students to celebrate their uniqueness. Welcome, Mia, to the show. Thank you. Well, and I have to say that we got, we were connected by a mutual friend, Sarah Petty, who's not only my friend, but a past podcast guest. And so just out of curiosity, how do you all know each other? Is it through yoga? Sort of through yoga and diabetes. So when I was first diagnosed, I went to a retreat and a diabetes retreat and Sarah was there and we just had a lot in common. So we connected from there and we've been friends ever since. So probably like seven years. Yeah, she's a good one. I'm yeah. happy that she's such a connector as well. I want to start with asking, where are you calling in from? From New York City today. I kind of want to make a joke about New York City, like Denise <laughs> Picante. I mean, that's totally terrible. Please don't judge me. But so I want to say that like, as I'm recording from my own dining room, there might be dogs in the background. I <laughs> hear background noise from me. It's because she lives on a busy street, correct? Yes. And I live near the hospital, Columbia University. So there's sometimes ambulance going by. <laughs> There was a podcast episode at one point. This is early on. This is probably eight years ago. Literally, the UPS came to the door to deliver diabetes supplies. So it's like, <laughs> it's real life. <laughs> so I want to ask, so I started every episode with, let's talk about your diagnosis story. I was diagnosed when I was 19 and I was a sophomore in college. And I really didn't know much about type 1 diabetes at all because it wasn't really in my family. And growing up in school, there was, I remember there was two girls a couple years younger th than me on the cheerleading team who had it, but I really didn't know much about it. So I had all the symptoms of DKA and they actually started, I was studying abroad. I went to West Africa during winter break and they kind of started that time, like the end of that trip remember on the flight home, I kept having to get up to go to the bathroom. And I was like, this is really strange. Like, I just went to the bathroom. Yeah. And I felt like really lucky I had the aisle seat, though, because I was I don't like bothering people. But I was like, this is strange. So that was a little weird. I didn't really know what was going on. And then I go back to college and I was really sick. My parents were co very concerned. They I came home very skinny and they were wondering like what happened in Africa. And then when I went back to college, like my roommates 
said the same thing. They were shocked at like the amount of weight I lost and I kept going to the bathroom and it get it got worse and worse. And I remember my sophomore year roommate, we were walking and she said, oh, I can hear your breath is like heavy. And I didn't really notice the shortness of breath in myself, but she heard that. And after that point, she called her mom and her mom was a nurse. And her mom said, it sounds like diabetes, she should go to the hospital. And so she came to me, my roommate, and said, hey, I hope you don't mind. I called my mom and she thinks you might have diabetes. And I kind of was like, what are you talking about? I'm young, I'm healthy. Diabetes is usually what you get when you're older. Like I had, yeah. And I was thinking of type two diabetes and it was like, I think I just had the flu. I didn't want to go to the hospital. And then it just kept getting worse. And at night, I just kept getting up to go to the bathroom, get water, go to the bathroom like all night that night. And it was probably around like two or 3 a.m. She said to me like, this is not normal. Like you should not be getting out of bed this much to go to the bathroom and get water. We should go to the hospital. So she actually drove me to the hospital that night. And then once we were there, they immediately like knew what it was. The person in the ER, he actually said to me, like, I shouldn't say this because a doctor is supposed to say it to you. But he said, and he was a nurse, he said, you have type 1 diabetes, so you're going to stay here and you should probably call your parents because you're going to be admitted for a few days. So then my roommate stayed with me and then my parents came. Yeah, and she's, I'm always really grateful to her because she's such a wonderful friend. And, and you know, gosh, there's so many things with that. So let's go back to your family history. No family history of type 1. So my dad was adopted. And at that time when I was in college, he didn't know anything about his birth parents. He only knew his mother's name. But a few years ago, he did Ancestry and it popped up that he had sisters. So since then, we've connected with that family. And I do have a cousin my same age who has type 1 diabetes. Oh, that's so crazy. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you this. So at age 19, we're all going through a lot of stress. We're in college, everything's crazy. And I only say this because there are now, I don't know what the words are, but if you don't have a family history, especially if you don't know about it, there are environmental factors that are supposed to be triggers. So was there any, now we know that you do have a family history, even that was not a direct descendant necessarily, mm -hmm. but were you under a lot of stress or were you really depressed? I mean, what else was going, if you, if you can share, if there was anything going on? Yeah. I mean, I think just like college is an adjustment. I don't necessarily think I was under a lot of stress, but being a college student like is stressful and that was my sophomore year so still like getting used to time management and studying and having a friend group and trying to get involved on activities on campus and stuff i guess maybe the traveling like my mom always wonders about that because i did have to get vaccines and i did have to take like medication anti-malaria medication. I don't really think there's a link to that, but it's, it's something I haven't researched too much. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, and it's like so crazy. Everybody that I talk to when it comes to, because I have zero family history, it's always like not a conspiracy theory by any means, but we don't have research. We don't have the data to say that yeah. something or whatever. So no offense to vaccines or anything like that, but it's just one of those things you put your body through a lot. And now that we're better understanding that it is actually pretty interesting. And the combination I was really that, well, I'm not going to go into me, but yes, there's a lot of factors usually that come with a diagnosis if you don't have a family history, but I want to dive into, let's talk about when you were first diagnosed, what did, did you immediately start on an insulin pump? Because you, eight years, that's not too long ago. So things were available. Uh, how did you start out with your diabetes management? So I started with just like the pen needles and I used those for about a year. And I had a, a nice doctor right near my college campus, like in the same town. But he mostly worked with type 2 diabetics. And he, he told me that. He said, I don't have a lot of type 1 diabetics. But he was very good about like staying up to date. And at that time, the Dexcom was newer. So he really recommended trying the Dexcom. And I pushed for that as well. But at that point, it was like hard to get it with my mom's insurance because I wasn't a, a kid and it was like new. So I remember him having to say that I had a lot more lows than I actually had so that I could try the Dexcom. And that was the first like device that I used. And I used the Dexcom for pretty early on, like within the first six months, I think, with the pens. And then I wanted to try the T-Slim because that was connected with the Dexcom. I've had that since then. That's awesome. You jumped into technology, and I think that's great because I know that I've tiptoed into it, and I'm about to tiptoe into another couple other layer. But <laughs> yeah, um, but it's exciting, and I'm so happy that we have technology now that can help us with the management and makes life easier. So one of the things that I was reading about when it came to your profile, you, shortly after your diagnosis, you jumped into yoga. Let's yeah. talk about was that already a thought before or? So I had done some yoga in high school as a gym class. We had it. So my senior year, I enjoyed that. And I was a cheerleader, as I said before. And then when I got to college, I actually thought about doing cheerleading, but I didn't end up doing that. So the yoga became like sort of what filled that place in my life because I had been a cheerleader for 12 years. So that's a big adjustment to go from like practice every day to not having some kind of sport or activity. So I started doing yoga on campus. I got really into it and I wanted to work at the fitness center. I thought it would be like the perfect job for me because it's like part time and I already was going to the yoga class. <laughs> so that's how I got into it. And I really wanted to be an instructor, but usually they would choose people we're in their senior year or junior year because they just want everyone to be able to do it. And once you get the job, you keep it all four years. So my freshman year, I didn't get the job. And then I, over the summer, did a official certification program because I really wanted it the next year. So it's like, I if I get this certification, I'll be more prepared next time they ask me to teach a class and hopefully I can get the job. Yeah, and it's become a passion of mine. And then it really helped me 
when I was diagnosed because it gives you a lot of tools for your mindset and how you can handle difficult situations. I totally get that. Let me ask you just because I was a cheerleader, a dancer. I was obsessive compulsive about working out and everything through those years and into early college. And I only ask this as someone who was diagnosed. Do you feel like it's something that you enjoy and it's a part of a great routine or is it something that you feel like you need to do? Like I gave myself a hard time if I don't go for that walk or if I don't do that workout or if I don't do something. So yes. So when I first started yoga, I would say it was more of an exercise for me. And because I came from it from the cheerleading background, and that's like very focused on your body. But as I got more into the yoga training, I saw it more as like a mindset. And it's, it's less about the yoga class. There's so much other aspects to yoga, like the meditation, the breath work, even the history behind the practice. So for me, it's become more of that. And I, I do try to be very aware of choosing activities that I enjoy, like not working out just because I want to lower my blood sugar or not working out just because I want to look a certain way. It's more about, am I going to enjoy this? How is it going to make me feel? Uh, because I definitely did like struggle in high school with like working out too much and how my body looked. And I wouldn't say it was like an eating disorder. I was never like told I had that, but I was hyper-focused on that. And, and it comes from the cheerleading, I think, in a certain way. Yeah, yoga changed that for me. That's awesome. And let me ask you just what is your, and because I meditate, I was a lot actually in I love there was a quote a while ago about when you don't have time to meditate, that's the time that that's what you actually need the most. And so I really lean on meditation for the daily struggles, diabetes, professional life, social life, whatever. So do you have a regular regimen or is it like I need to sit and calm my mind or do you sit at 7 a.m.? I mean, a lot of people have their routines. So what's yours? So I don't have a set time of the day right now, although that's something I always think, yeah, I should should bring into my life, but I think it's more when I feel I need it. I also try to be involved with the diabetes sangha. I don't know if you've, well, Sarah, Sarah does that. So they have a practice like almost every day. If at that time I, I feel like I have time for it, I always try to join in on those. But just for myself, I do a lot more of like a breath awareness practice. And I've also done a restorative yoga training. So I prefer to meditate like either sitting against a wall or lying down or having like a restorative pose because then I can start to watch the breath. And so I like to watch the breath to like start the meditation and there's a few different practices I've learned through my training of like controlling the breath. So like the space between the inhale and the exhale. So for me right now, I just try to choose the practices I am most comfortable with and, and enjoy. 
And when you lay down, let me ask you this, because a friend gave me a hard time a while ago because I will lay in bed with pillows propped up. And she's like, that's, you can't meditate in the space that you sleep. And I was like, I, I don't know. I mean, so do you lay, I mean, like, I don't want to pull out a yoga mat to have to lay on the ground. Like, come on, I'm too old for that in my mind. Yeah. Like, I'm in a comfortable space that I can call my mind by being in that space. So wh- wh- where do you lay down? So sometimes on my couch or in my bed. And sometimes I do lay on the yoga mat if I want to do like a restorative pose or something. But I know people say that, like you have to be meditating against a wall or you have to be sitting up, but it's it's less comfortable. And I think it's something you have to work up to. Like a lot of people can't just sit for however many minutes. So I just try to give myself permission to do it in the way that I like, even if it's not classic meditation. <laughs> I think that's even better because it's more realistic for the everyday person. And not yeah. everybody can do the classic meditation. And I, okay, so I love all of this in the practice, but I want to jump into one last thing before we wrap up is you're a second grade teacher. Yeah. So I'm sure meditation and yoga help you calm yourself after the day because I was just around my nephew who's, I think he's in second grade. They're unfiltered and a total shit show. I mean, they are yeah. crazy. So let's talk about you. And how you handle your diabetes in the classroom, because I think that's one of the things I was drawn to is you helping people, the young people understand their uniqueness. Yeah. So they have so much energy at that age and they're so curious and open-minded. And it's also when I feel like their personalities start to come out more and they're starting to understand themselves as people but they have no filter and they're, they don't really care what other people think and they will ask you any question. So in my own classroom, I teach in an ICT classroom, which is integrated co-teaching. There's two teachers in the classroom. Both of us are in grad school and we're both in grad school for special education and early childhood education. So we're actually both special education teachers and general education teachers. But sometimes you'll see this model with one general education teacher and one special education teacher. So that means like in my classroom, I have 33 students. About half of them have some kind of disability. It could be a learning disability. There's like ADHD, autism, or some other like speech disability, language issue. So I've taught many different kids and I just try to be as open as possible about my diabetes because I can't leave the room. You can't leave them alone. So there are times when like my blood sugar does drop or I need to change my sight, like maybe it ripped off. So I will do those things in front of them. And then of course they can see the devices. Like if I wear my Dexcom on my arm, so they'll see that. And sometimes I clip the pump like to my waistband. It's not always in my pocket. So they'll just ask about it and I try to answer in like a simple way because they're not going to understand all the medical terms, but I'll say, oh, well, this gives me medicine because I I don't make insulin, so I need it to help me 
eat the food that I eat. And so there's not, surprisingly, but I always wonder one day if maybe I'll teach a kid with diabetes. Probably will. Oh, yeah, it's definitely, especially if you're going to continue teaching. It's yeah. crazy because I didn't know anybody else. I think there was a girl that was my age, but we were, did not run in the same social circle or not social circles, but we didn't have the same friend group. And <laughs> I wish I would have had more of a friendship with her because she was suffering in silence just like I was at that age, you know, because I was yeah. eight. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more. So when you're kids and you're teaching them about uniqueness, is there anything in particular that they bring up about themselves? Yeah. So one student that's coming to mind is I had him last year. His name's Malik. He was missing a few fingers. And so it really didn't affect him too much, just like holding a pencil or writing. But he was very empathetic. And he asked a lot of questions about myself. And I would always be open talking about like what my pump does. And, and he asked a lot more questions than other students asked. Like they might ask a question. I say, Oh, it gives me medicine. And, and they don't ask too much more, but he would, he wanted to know about it. So I, I talked to him about it and I really just try to showcase that it's something that's different about me, but it doesn't mean I can't do anything that anyone else is doing. And he comes back and even visits me this year and he'll, get, he'll bring me sugar or he'll bring me candy or juice or something. And he always says, for your blood sugar. And he understands that like I actually do need sugar because a lot of people think, oh, you can't have it. And the kids do, the kids do know that about diabetes. Yeah. And I think it just helped him like embrace himself because I did notice there were moments where he might feel a little bit weird about his, his hand because it looks different. And then by the end of the year last year, I know one day he came to me and he said, Oh, look at my hand. It's really cool. And I was like, yeah, it is really cool. I hope he, he has that mindset throughout like the rest of his life. That is so cool. Like, and it's just, you never know. And it's those developmental years, I think, that you didn't want to feel different or weird, yeah. you know? But if you have a supportive group of people that understand that you're going through something that's different from them, I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, do you think you'll continue to be a second grade teacher? I think so, at least for the next few years. I do want to study school psychology. So ultimately, I think that is where my career will go. And I think it's the perfect mix of my yoga. And I studied anthropology, cultural anthropology for undergraduate. And then what I'm doing now. Yeah, I think that's a great combination. I mean, like, that's like one big I think about when you have to write papers. If people still write papers, I don't know if that's still the deal. But you've got a great history of what brought you to that point? Yeah. And also, I like to teach some mindfulness or breathing practices. And and for the young kids, they need like a, a model of how to interact in the world and how to manage their own emotions and their communications. And so much of uh, teaching young kids is actually that. 
But the classroom teacher can't really always do that or doesn't have the skills to do it. It's hard. So that's something I would like to bring in, especially for kids who need more support. Well, I guess that's my last question is going to be something along the lines of, you know, how do we get that to be your role? Is is that something that you can pitch to the principal or? Well, a, a lot of schools do have a school psychologist or a team of counselors. So it would just be like switching my role and then they work with the kids who need some extra support. But also, all the kids really do need it, I think. So I like to bring that into my own class, and that's what I like about being a classroom teacher as well. Yeah, well, and I got to say one last thing on my part. Like, I have a friend who's both of her kids have type 1, and they are under the age of 13, I think 13 and 8 or 9. And one is has a little bit more of a struggle with, oh, struggle is not the word, I don't know what the words are because I don't have children, but this child, when they have a low or they have a high, they need to sit in a quiet, dark place, get their breath. So I'm not going to say meditation is a part of the process, but it's more of a, let's calm down. Mm-hmm. Let's find that. So I feel like that could be like a separate skill set because you are well-versed in the diabetes space. Yeah. When you have those hard times, yeah, you need a minute, you need to regroup and yeah. Yeah. I feel like you could create your own certification. <laughs> <laughs> also, in in my school, they do have like the counselor's office and certain kids can go there. Like if they ask for a break, they can go there and sit and breathe. And that's what she does. And that's kind of what I see her doing and, and want to do in my own career. <laughs> that's yeah. I find that fascinating. If I would have had that I think of all the struggles as a kid. Yeah. Well, and anyway, Mia, thank you so much for being my guest. And I can't wait to see where you go from here. And and thank you for sharing the fact that your father reached out to his adopted family about that. I'd love to hear (laughs) more about that if he ever wants to talk about it. Or I want to see the timeline as to how you track that. Because my sister's adopted. And so we were talking this weekend about family medical things and what you know and what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And for most of my life, I didn't know anything from that side. So crazy. Wow. (laughs) All right. Thank you. As I wrap up, I want to remind you that I'm here for my diapeeps and the medical community. So feel free to contact me at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers. To the highs and lows, everyone.